take pride in what I do, and I like to think that we all do. Having horses is an honor, heck, it's even a privilege. After talking to Shannon for three and a half hours on the phone, it gave me a whole new perspective on so many things that we have here in the States. And in case you're wondering how much it costs to call Brazil from the United States for three and a half hours, it's only $780. Not much will make your butt pucker faster than getting that bill. Thankfully, after some tears and some lofty persuasion, AT&T backdated an international plan for me, which then took care of the extreme charges. Because trying to explain that one to your husband, not something I was aiming for. In this last episode that I recorded with Shannon, I found myself having immense pride. Not just for all the hard work that I've put into the podcast, but pride that I feel for the whole barrel racing industry. I feel proud to be a barrel racer. Contrary to what any cowboy in Yellowstone says, I love what I do. Heck, I'm even obsessed with it, and I'm not sorry about it. Taking pride in what you do feels amazing. And I'm just super happy to have my own podcast to yell it to the entire world. I heard a quote the other day, and I really want to share it with you guys. It says, It's a negligence if you don't take the time to honor the things that you take light in. But more importantly, that you share the things that you take delight in. And if you don't do that, there's a loss here. You have to do that to achieve humanity. And I'd like to think that's exactly what I've done here. I'm Amy Davenport, and this is the Barrel Horse Life Podcast. Today's episode... Shannon Kerr. In 1993, Dr. John West showed that EIPH occurs during exercise when blood vessels in the lungs rupture. This is due to stress caused by high blood pressure on the inside of the vessels and strong suction forces on the outside. Only flare strips and Lasix, used together or alone, have been clinically proven to reduce EIPH. Lasix works by reducing the high internal pressures, and flare strips work by reducing the suction forces on the outside. See the science at flarestrips.com. Hey, it's Amy. I was just chatting with my husband about how comfortable his hoodie was, and he told me, you have got to order me another one of these. The Barrel Horse Life store is unlike any store. Here you get to pick the style, the color, the size, and then it's shipped directly to your front door. Their sizes extra small through 5XL, men's, women's, kids, so much more to choose from. I'd really love for you to check it out for yourself at www.thebarrelhorselife.store. And if I may add, you have to check out the most comfortable hoodie. It's my favorite and of course my husband's favorite. Again, that's www.thebarrelhorselife.store. But our horses are are similar to typically. Like, they grow faster. Like, our two-year-olds look like your four- and five-year-olds. Okay, and it's our weather. It's the weather. Like, people are like, I can't believe you guys run them at two and a half, three years old. Like, our horses are three years old when they're running the security, okay? But... They're physically way more mature than the American horses I've seen at that age. And I really, really believe it's our weather. 
because we don't have that winter. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, your cult, from the time they're born until the time they're two and three, they pass three to six months, depending where they live, in a really cold environment. And they have to keep warm, and so their body's busy staying warm than it is developing. And um, we don't really have a lot of horses that break down because they run young like this. But by the time your horses get to five or six, they've caught up to ours and all the horses look the same. But I'm telling you, our two and three-year-olds, everyone that comes here and they go in my barn and they're like, that horse is just two? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, my God, my five-year-old is that big, you know? (laughs) I really believe it's our weather. (laughs) Because the genetics are the same. You know, the feeding programs are basically the same. So it has to be the weather. So I, I should hold on. I'm getting a, my brain just went on overload for a second. Can you tell? <laughs> so, at what point do you send your horses when they're ready to be started with the colt starter? At what age do you send them? Okay, so I send them right as they turn two. Now, I'm a little bit lucky. I have a guy that comes here and lives at my house for sixty to ninety days and breaks them here. Um, so some are two, some are one year and 10 months, some maybe two years and one month, but you're looking at basically one year and 10 months to two years and three months of age to be broke. And before I break them, we x-ray them. I x-ray them to make sure, you know, we check their knees and their feet, basically knees and feet, just the front end. I x-ray knees and feet and ankles on the front. And... We see how close or not they are. So then the guy knows how much pressure he can put on them or not put on them. Then as soon as he's done, we re-X-ray them. Or I do. I say we, but it's me. I re-X-ray them. And then um, if the knees are closed, I start them on barrels. If the knees are not closed, I wait another 60 days, re-X-ray them, and then I only start them on barrels when the knees are closed. If their knees are not closed, um, I have a cowboy here because we have cattle. She'll use them on the ranch, push cows, open and shut gates, things like that. But I won't put them on barrels until the knees are closed. And usually, nine times out of ten, at two years and four to six months, the knees are closed on our horses. So I start them on barrels typically at the two years and six months of age because when they, if I were to keep them here in Brazil, they need to be running at three years old. Like competing, like running 17 as a two-year-old. Now, what has been nice is I've moved my program to the American side. So you guys kind of, so I actually have been able to take the horses a little bit slower than what I would have had in the past, you know? So that has been kind of nice. And I don't break the rules. I take my horses to races. I only do exhibitions. We call them test horses here. I just do exhibitions, and then I come home, and I'm not competing on them. I'm not breaking any rules. And it's really funny because the two that went to USA last year, I went to this race, and uh, I did after exhibitions, and there were several trainers hanging around and several owners, and I won't let these horses work. And they were like, Shannon, what are these? And I was like, no, these are the horses that I sold to USA. And they were like, but are they for sale? We want to buy them. And I was like, no, 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 no. We have never seen these horses. And I said, no, because I've just been doing the test horses. I haven't been competing. So I, I, I do follow the rules. But for me, it's been nice because I can take a little more time than what I would have had to do if my plan was to sell them here in Brazil. 
But our three-year-olds right now, the horses that are three in Brazil, they're running 16-6s, 16 16-9, 16 But that's, that's my particular program. I don't know what anybody else does, but I, I do do that because the x-ray horses here, we don't have a lot of vet clinics. The vets actually drive to your property, the majority of them. So um, I pay the vet comes here. It's not as expensive to do preventative care here as it is there. And another thing, too, here, the vets prefer preventative care. They push preventative care because it's really hard for them to treat the aftercare because there's not a lot of clinics. You know, they don't have a clinic. They actually just work out of their truck. So the focus here is very much on preventative care. It's good feed, it's supplements, it's chewing, it's fitness, you know, it's x-rays. You know, they, they really do push that a lot. I would love to see more of that here in the States. Um, you know, we tend to, at least me personally, I, I tend to do a lot of preventative therapies here at home, um, as well as mm-hmm. keeping up with exercise. You know, day, daily maintenance is a big thing for me. Um, but you mm-hmm. guys don't have a lot of that. Do you use a lot of you know, daily therapies and, you know, equivibes and things like that down where you are? Yeah, we don't have anything here. We don't have pools. We don't have beamers. We don't have Sarah plates. We don't have the little boots you put on them to travel around, the little cloud shoe things you put on them. Yeah. We don't have those. Our horses are just, they are so tough, it's unreal. If you could even see the trucks that they ride in and how we have to load and unload them, it's insane. The roads are so bad, and the trucks, there's no air ride. And once you put them in your trailer or your truck, you cannot take them out. The government doesn't allow it. So if you're going six hours away or eight hours away, you cannot just stop and get your horse out and walk them around. So they stand a long, long time in the truck, in the trailers. Um, they're just tough. And I think it's, it's hot. Oh, my gosh, it's so hot here a lot. And, um, you know, you would ask me about ozone. We do use ozone a lot. Um there's also this other page um, from Organic that I like to use if I have to travel really far. It's called Denitrix, and it, it, they actually use it to get like to get the horses to run harder. But it has an amino acid in it that is really good for body soreness. So you give them half a tube before you put them in the trailer, and you give them half a tube as soon as you get to where you're going, and that amino acid helps prevent body soreness because we can't get banamine. Could you imagine you got to go to a race nine hours away and you got to put your horse in a truck or in a trailer and you can't give them any abandonment for muscle pain? Oh. So we we do use the, the nitrate. It's called nitrix. We use that a lot to prevent muscle pain. And I don't know. I think it's it's just tough. I think I think what it is is that is that in America we we just really the horse can take so much more than what we think they can. I mean, like, look at us, like me. I have two herniated discs. I've had three knee surgeries. I've broke my tailbone five times, you know, but I still go out there and do it, right? You know, nobody's giving me banamine before I ride, <laughs> you know? And I, I, think, I think it's just the, the culture. You know, here it's hard to get good vets, and there it's easy. And I think a lot of times when things go wrong, a lot of people blame body soreness or different things, how to go to the vet, when a lot of times it could just be the training or the rider. 
I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to me. Even. Like, I had this horse, this horse that I even told you, this three-year-old, that is amazing, like, the best horse I think I've fed on in years. And he was a stud. And only with me would he rear up and lunge and try to leave the arena and be a complete jackass. My worker would get on him, another trainer would get on him, and he's perfect. So what do I do? I'm thinking, oh, he must have something wrong. It can't be me, right? So I call my vet. <laughs> And I said, I want you to x-ray this horse from head to toe. Oh, let's not x-ray everything. Because if he doesn't have anything wrong with him, we're going to yell him. But if he does, I'm going to leave him a stud and he can just be a stallion. Because he's an own son of Dash for Perks, one of the last. And he's beautiful. And I was like, so my vet checked him. And my vet said, Shannon, this horse is a jerk. Like, he didn't, you know, to collect him and do these things. He, you know, he's a dominating horse. Like, he wants to dominate. And he's like... Chenna, the horse is a jerk. The reason he acts up is because you're scared of him. The horse has nothing wrong. Nothing. So we gelded him. And then after we gelded him, I got a little braver. And I started to just kind of get after him. And now the horse is phenomenal. He probably would have been phenomenal before. But in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my God, if he's acting like this with me, he must have something wrong. You know? And he didn't. It was me. And in Brazil... The guys here are not afraid to tell you that. They'll say, you know, my husband was like, I can't believe you dealt with that horse because you know the problem was you, not him. And I was like, yeah, but it gave me the courage to, to do what I needed to do, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. But in America, what happens, you know, we're all so nice and, and we're like, oh, my God, he doesn't want to go in the arena. It must be ulcers, you know. It must be this. And sometimes it's just us. Yeah. And that's one thing I've learned here. Cal go up.
you know, maybe something is wrong with the horse. I think a lot of the times I agree. It is us. It is us. I know I've talked to a animal community, Kathleen Daigle. She's been on the podcast before. And one of the first times that I talked with her and said, Hey, you know, my horse has had a few problems in the alleyway. She goes, he says it's you. And I knew she was right. It was me. It was me the whole time. I would clam up. I would get nervous. Therefore, he would get nervous in the alleyway because he thought we were going into war. You know, he had no idea what we were doing. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I think most of the time it is us. It gets in our heads and, you know, that needs to be a happy, a fun place. You know, we, we work all this time and practice and do all these things. This is our lifestyle. The race should be fun. It should be a good, a good thing. It's our time to show off and have fun be. and enjoy what we do. Yeah, it should be. And, and too, like, um, there's some things I show at my clinics to help people get control of their horses that really, really work, that I've learned here watching these guys, you know. And um, I, I also tell people, like, you know, when you, when you grab your reins to take off, it's two hands, right? You get your reins and you go. And a lot of times, people will grab their reins in the in the alleyway or they're waiting in the warm-up pen, and the horse gets nervous because he doesn't know. You know, he's simple. So, like, I always tell everybody to stay one-handed, one-handed. Even if your horse spins around, don't grab that. Don't grab your reins with two hands. Stay one-handed. And then eventually the horse learns that one hand is to stay calm and two hands means to take off. Mm-hmm. But they get really confused in, in the back of the alleyway or in the holding pen because people automatically go to two hands to walk into that alley where they should stay one-handed into the alley and then get to two hands and the horse takes off. So <clears throat> you can be nervous, but just stay one-handed. Train your horse that two hands takes off and one hand needs to be calm. Mm-hmm. And that, that helps a lot. Yeah, well, you know, for example, Emily Beisel. Look at her as she's, you know, walking Chongo in. He is flat-footed. Every single time he walks in the alleyway, because she's one-handed, the and then as soon as yep. as soon as she goes two-handed, boom, he's off. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Exactly. Um, I wanted to backtrack what we were talking about earlier about the ozone because I, I know I we talked about it briefly mm-hmm. before I hit the record button, but um, I had listened to you on a podcast a long time ago, and it always kind of stuck with me. And I was talking with some friends over the weekend. Um, about it and it was like kind of mind-blowing to me so I want you to tell us about what it is how you guys use it and why you use it so it's it's kind of a thing down in Brazil but it's not a thing here in the United States hopefully yet yeah well so ozone is is oxygen with three molecules so we have this machine here and um, you have an oxygen tank you know like what people use to breathe you know a typical oxygen tank and the machine takes the air and I don't know if it compresses it or what it does or the magic and it turns it into oxygen with three molecules, which is what they call ozone. It's actually the same thing they use to sterilize surgical equipment in emergency rooms. Okay, so it's there. But what we use it for is it's a really good at healing injuries like a cut or um, things like that. Like if you put the, you like what you do, like say your horse has a cut on his leg. You take a plastic bag and then you put the air in there for like 20 minutes. And that oxygen, it kills the bacteria. And then it promotes the healing because it gets more oxygen into that area while it's killing the bacteria. So it's really great 
for any type of external cut or injury or something like that. Where we use it in performance horses is it's really good at killing inflammation. So, like, let's say I need to, instead of injecting my hawks with typical medicines, which are used to there, you know, the hyaluronic acids and the, and the things like that, we use ozone, it goes in there, it gets rid of all the inflammation, and because it's pure oxygen, it promotes healing in the area as well. So the reason that our, our horse's joints hurt from the arthritis is from the inflammation that's caused from the actual problem, right? So what this does is it goes in there and it gets rid of that inflammation. It promotes healing of the joints, and it lasts a pretty long time. It lasts a good three, four, five months, just like a, a hawk injection would typically. Mm-hmm. So another thing we do is we use it in their blood. So we have a bag, we'll pull blood out of the horse, we'll infuse oxygen with the ozone into the bag, and then we put it back into the horse. And what that does is it not only takes more oxygen to the body of the horse, uh, but it also helps to get rid of any inflammation in the horse, and it helps to build up the immune system of the horse by providing that extra oxygen throughout the entire body. We also put it in um, into their anus, into the back. You can put the tube in there and you let the air go in there for, you know, 20 minutes. And so all that air is absorbed by the intestine and by the colon, actually absorbed by the colon. And it also helps to be distributed through the body for any type of inflammation found in the body. Um, Horses with kicking spines, because we don't have anyone here to do surgery, we actually um, inject the air into certain spots along the horse's back. So the same thing, the air goes into that spine, into that area where there's that inflammation, and it gets rid of all that inflammation. And because it's pure oxygen, it promotes healing in that area, it promotes blood flow in that area. Horses with kicking spines, you need to inject them about every two to three months. It doesn't last quite as long as, say, joints in their lower limbs. Um that if your horse has a fever and you do it with the blood, you know, with the blood bag and then put it back in, it knocks the fever out right away. And it really, really improves their immune system. But basically all it's doing is decreasing inflammation and promoting healing in the area that you're trying to get to. Yeah. And so uh, we do that a lot. At, at the barrel races, the vets set up at barrel races. So like I told you, they don't have clinics that are bigger shows. They will set up tents usually three or four of the better ones, that biggest bet. And a lot of the guys, even myself, I'll take the horse there in the morning, we'll do ozone in the blood, we'll inject ozone at the horse's sore somewhere in a muscle or something, and then off we go to run because we can't use any medicines. Now, the reason I believe in it is this. I didn't believe in it when I first came here. And now I've had three knee surgeries, and I um, tore my ligaments, cartilage, and I didn't, I never had full range of motion in my right side, okay, for 17 years. And I went to a race and my horse got sick. She got a fever. She wasn't feeling well. So I took her to the vet and I saw him inject something in his friend's back. And I was like, what is that? And that's when he explained ozone to me. And I didn't believe it. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And he said, no, it, it really, really works for arthritis. And I was like, okay. And he said, let me show you. He said, where do you hurt? I said, my knee, you know, I don't have full range of motion in my knee. I had very little range of motion in my knee, actually. So he injected it on the east side of my knee under the skin, like air. And it hurt. But as soon as he quit injecting it, the pain stopped. He left it. He said, okay, stand up. And I literally, in three seconds, had full range of motion in my knee. 
Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. It was like witchcraft. I was like, this is you're a voodoo doctor. This is insane. And I left walking. I had I said I had full stride again. I was like I was like I said I don't care if I win anything at the spiral race. It was so worth coming here just for that. And the next morning, I woke up in the hotel, and my whole body hurt from muscles that I hadn't used in 17 years. And and so I have herniated discs in my lumbar, and I use ozone on that to keep the pain down with those. And now I haven't injected my knee. I injected my knee about every six months because I was so scared the pain would come back. But I actually have been almost a year now since my last ozone injection on my knee, and my knee is fine. But my back, I have to keep up because of the herniated discs. You know, I can go about three months between injecting the herniated discs. But my knee now, I've gone a year. That's amazing. I have a bad back as well. And I can tell you, if you have back pain and try to ride a horse's, it's it's not always so much riding as much as it is getting up and up and down out of the saddle. But it's daily chores sometimes can be yeah. grueling with back pain. No matter what kind of back pain you have, it's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Um, but ozone is it's I think it's not big in the United States because it's not expensive. Honestly, you know, I, my friend, um, the one that bought Shady Slick, she saw it, she, it, she saw it work. Her dad had a really bad motorcycle accident and has a bunch of plates in his head. Mm-hmm. And when they came to visit me, my vet put the ozone air into his ear and um, his headaches went away. So she bought the ozone machine to use for her dad, but she uses it on the horses too now. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But, you know, the ozone machine itself, I think she paid, I want to say like $2,500 for the machine. Oh. And then you just have to get the canister of oxygen, which you can get from a welding store. You know, I think it's just not popular by mainstream medicine because it's a cheap alternative that really works. Yeah, that's like two vet visits here. It's $2,500, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Amazing product. And really good for sickness and... and um, you know, really, it's just, if I hadn't used it on myself, I probably wouldn't believe it. But after using it on myself and seeing the huge, huge benefit it made in my life, I just, it's my first thing that I go to. Does that mean some horses will never need injections or need certain things? No. But it's, it's the one thing I do before I, I go to any other type of, of your typical injection, like hawks and joints and things. Well, I always go with those on first. Well, let's segue a little bit into um, a little bit more about you, because I know that you have people that can come visit you. Is that correct? Yes. You have a little guest house down by you, and people can come and stay and pay and stay with you and ride horses with you. So um, I want you to tell us all about that, how that works, and how me and my friends can come visit you. Well, first of all, I love when people come visit me because then I get to speak English and talk about horses because my husband, I mean, he's an amazing person, but, you know, he really doesn't care about barrel horses. Yeah. So sometimes I get all excited and he just looks at me and I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, so I don't really have anyone to talk to about horses. So it's, it's such a pleasure for me when anybody comes because I get all giddy and talkative. And um, the truth is, I really don't talk a lot. Like, even here with you, I'm talking a lot because I get excited. You know, it's things I love, and I don't get to talk to many people here about it, especially yeah. in English. So, 
always in the past, you know, from my experience with Europe, with selling horses to Europe all the time, um, I was really used to people coming here and staying. So my husband built a guest house. We have a really nice guest house. We actually have um, four suites. Um, they each have a bathroom. And so people can come and stay. And what I do to make it easy is I do, like, a one full price. Like, you don't have to worry about buying anything. I supply the, the food, the drink, everything like that. The only thing I would charge extra is if people, there's a price for people that want to ride and a price for people that don't. Like, if a husband and wife come, you know, the husband doesn't need to pay to ride. So we have two prices, one for people just to come and stay and one for people who ride. And uh, the only time there's any other extra charges if we go to a race, I do ask the people to pay their entry fee. Oh, because sure. I can't put that in a price because I don't know how much it's going to be. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, initially, um, I don't, if somebody wants to come and just stay, it's $150 a night, and that includes everything. The room, the food, the drink, cleaning your clothes, everything. And then I charge 200 to the people that want to ride. That's sign me up like stat. <laughs> I was actually chatting with a friend over the weekend. We were at a race warming up and she said, Hey, I really liked your last uh episode with Sharon Hall and I'm like, Oh, she's great. I just absolutely love her and Stella. I said, But I get to I get to interview somebody from Brazil. She's like, Oh, I know you're interviewing Shannon. This is great. She goes, Go ahead and set up the. Go ahead and set up our girls' trip. Let me know whenever you want to leave, and I'm like, all right, we're gonna set it up. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, and it's really fun. I've had lots of people come. Um, it's been great, and it's it's been great for me to help get my my name out and what I do here because I think the perception of Brazil people are scared. Is it dangerous? Is it, is it really what they think? And sure. so when people come and they see how amazing it is. They go back and they tell their friends, like, a lady from Canada came. Her name is Dawn Vanderstein, and she lives a lot in Canada. And she was so impressed with the horses and everything, and she became a great friend. And she commented to some people, and I've actually sold two horses to Canada off of her recommendation. It's always a win-win for me. And one, I get to come and, you know... It's not, in, in dollars, it's not a lot, but with the exchange rate, it works great for me. It allows me to pay my employees to come and clean the room and stuff like that. And then I get to have fun with people with the same interests. And then it, it helps, it only helps to expand my business and my name because when people get to really see what it's like and know that I'm not lying when I tell you that the horses here are beautiful and big and the people are amazing. And the atmosphere of the races here is incredible. Like, everyone's like, even my husband is like, would you want to move back to USA and run there? And I said, absolutely not. Because here, I don't see, I never felt jealousy here. I never hear gossip here. I never hear negative words here. Um, everyone here is so happy. And if you're at the barrel race, that's a feat in itself. <laughs> Between the roads and the government and everything. And everybody... Is just happy if, if there's a good horse or a good rider, people really cheer for that person. They are not jealous. They don't wish bad that they hit a barrel. I mean, you never hear that kind of talk here. And even me, I cannot outrun these guys that have the best horses in Brazil that are running 16 twos and 16 threes. But I go to a race, and those same guys tell me how they admire my horses, how they admire my work. 
how um, when I go in and make a run on a pole that I may be 18 zero or 17 eight, and I come out and they're like, wow, Shannon, you're making a nice horse. You know, it's just a camaraderie between all these people that I, I've never seen that in the United States that I see here. Yeah. And when I go to the States and I'm at races and I hear somebody talk about somebody else or somebody do this or that, I mean, it really blows my mind because I'm like, I'm in a first world country and the people in the third world country have a better attitude towards things and a better way of thinking than people in a first world country. I have been, I remember I was at the Pima Ruby Buckle and I was there with a bunch of people and they were talking about somebody and not a nice person. I knew this person was not a nice person. And I had to say, listen, this is a toxic person, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, so why did we just use 20 minutes of our time on this particular person? And, and I changed the, the conversation. And, and even when people come here and ride with me and they go to the races, they're so impressed at how friendly everybody is. Brazilians are truly warm people. And I don't know, it's just, you just have to come here. I, I wouldn't trade it. Do I miss USA? A lot. I'm extremely patriotic. I love America. I'm, I mean, I, I love it with all my heart. And to live in Unbell, I really prefer it here. Sounds like it didn't take you long to get adjusted once you moved there, if it's going to be that much of a difference. Because I agree, I feel like it's uh, just hearing you talk, I wish that we were more like that. I feel like there's a lot of negativity that can be at barrel races. There's a lot of pettiness. There's a, there's a lot of that. And I try to be a very positive a person. And I it, it can really consume you very quickly. And I wish it was the, the whole industry as a whole was more positive. That was more uplifting. That we, you know, it's a race against the clock, not each other. Yeah, and, and this is, I think, because here in Brazil, it is a difficult. It's, it's not just anyone that can go to a barrel race. And in America, really anybody can. You can load your horse in a trailer and go. It can be a little dinky trailer and go. But here, even a little dinky trailer is extremely expensive, okay? So it's not just anyone that can go to a race here. So by the time we all get there, we're just so happy to be there. And we all share the same love of the horse and sport. And we love to talk about it and the horses and the trainings. And you know what they do here, which is super cool? After a race is over, if you get out to the warm-up pen, you'll see, like, the, the top five, six, or sometimes ten trainers all out there riding each other's horses, giving advice from each other on how they can make that horse better. They don't have this thing in their head that I'm the best and you need to learn from only me and my way is the only way. They actually get on each other's horses and then talk about it. You know, because I'm one of the only owner-rider trainers, okay? Usually it's owners pay the trainer. You know, usually trainers don't have enough money to have their own horses. Okay, they make a lot of money, but they don't buy their own horses, okay? So I'm usually one of the only owner-rider trainers. And so I'll ride my little horse out there, and, and if I ask them their advice, or will you ride this horse, or what do you think? They're like, sure, absolutely. And they get on it or they tell me something. And the way they tell you is not in a demeaning way. If they say, you know, Shannon, I feel like you're going to your horn too soon and he's dropping. Um, you know, maybe you should try this exercise or do this or do that. And I think that'll help you to be faster. You know, I mean, it's just the, the way they say it is a friendly, nice way. 
they don't talk to you like you don't know what you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And what's, what's really odd is, like, I've had this, I hurt my back last year, and I had to send some horses out to get started and trained because I couldn't do it. It's the first time I've ever done that. But, you know, you do what you do. When they came back, they didn't tell me anything. They just handed the horse to me. And and the reason they do that is because they, they think that you know as much as they do. They don't feel like they need to tell you how to ride your horse. They feel like they have enough respect for you that you already know what you're doing. You know, it, it, it's kind of, at first I was like, um, what bit do I use? What do I need to do? And they're like, oh, well, Shannon, you know what you're doing. The horse is broke. Just go on. Do what you do and you'll be fine. You know? They have a, a mutual respect among them, which is really cool. Because in, in the States, like, if you give a horse or take a horse, you need to, you know, sell them a bit or tell them this and the exercise and this, this, and this. You have to give this whole thing. And here, they're just like, here you go. And they walk away. <laughs> and they're like, uh, okay. Just having that respect and that mentality towards each other, that goes a long way. You know, I think that kind of goes back to your morals and your character and how you're, how you're grown up. It does. And everybody cheers for everybody. And nobody, if a horse runs over a barrel or runs up the fence or somebody falls off, they don't even think twice about it because they've all had it happen to them. Mm-hmm. The other day, Sidney Jr., the number one guy here that's won everything, he went around the third barrel and he went to set up the barrel and fell off the horse. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody said, oh, my God, can you believe Sidney fell off the horse? Nobody. They just went on about their way because they knew it could happen to them, too. You know, it's just it's just really cool. And so when I go to the States, I'm a little bit like, I don't know. I don't know the word. I'm not sad, but a little bit. Like, why can't it be like this here? Because when I, I went last year with these horses that I sent, and I stayed there, and I went to barrel races with these girls. And there's one girl who was an amazing rider. And because her family has money, a lot of people, you know, would say things to her and she told me some of the things they said and I was like what what is wrong with people you know and so this girl she now she has it in her head and she, you know it's, it's like it's too bad you know in America and in Brazil if, if, if a horse goes in there and wins you know what these people do they try to go buy it mm-hmm. and if they can't buy it they try to find buy something better but they they never it's just, it's just different it's just different, and it's sad because America is an amazing place, and I truly believe that the majority of the people are amazing people, but I don't know. Yeah. It's just a fear there now for me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're doing much better in Brazil. Yeah, but I know. I mean, like, I want to go back in the fall, and I want to do some of these things, and, um, you know, and if I can help anybody, you know, change their attitude or be a little better than it's worth it, you know? Worst case scenario, I go, I ride my own horse, I drink a beer, I get to go to Hobby Lobby, and it's good. <laughs> Life is always good at Hobby Lobby. My husband would not agree every time I... Actually, I went a couple of weeks ago, and I walked out with one small bag, and he's like, that's it? I'm like, I know. I didn't spend $300. <laughs> it's wonderful. I, and here, we don't... We don't have Hobby Lobby or anything like it here, so I have to buy all that stuff and get it in my suitcase and bring it home. Oh, so that's hard to do. Oh, Hobby during Lobby. Christmas time, I spend hours in Hobby Lobby. I stop by Starbucks, I get an extra large pumpkin spice latte, mm-hmm. and 
I just take my time enjoying, because here at Christmas time, it's hot. So you don't feel Christmassy at all. So I really, really miss that. I miss the fall season. I miss the changing of the leaves because here it's pretty much green all year round. Mm -hmm. So one gal in Canada, she said, oh, if you come in the fall or you come, I can take you to the Calgary Stampede. I said, oh, please don't. <laughs> I said, please do not do that. I said, you can take me to Michael's, which is like the Hobby Lobby of Canada. <laughs> but I really don't care to go to rodeo. I've seen a lot. <laughs> I need candles that smell like cedar. <laughs> That's funny. You come here and visit Illinois. I will be happy to take you to Starbucks. We'll hit up Michael's. We'll hit up Hobby Lobby. We'll go to Joanne Fabrics. We'll get all that girly stuff in. And then I'll come visit you. We'll go get some facials, ride some horses. I'll get some sun. It's it's like an easy trade-off, right? Exactly. Oh, here, I oh, I have facials, massage people. Because here it's not expensive. I see my chiropractor every week. I have the best chiropractor ever. Because oh. she, she doesn't just do chiropractic work. She does all this other type of stuff. And, I mean, she's... She believes that your pain comes from emotional things, that you need to work on your emotional side to fix your physical side, and mm -hmm. she's amazing. Really amazing. Yeah, there is a lot to that. You know, I have a massage therapist that I've used for years, and she has, like, God-given hands, and she talks a lot about dis-ease. Not just disease, but dis-ease, that it comes from within. You know, it comes from the yeah. mental aspect. You have to be right, you know about your different chakras and being grounded. And we, we talk a lot about that. And I believe in that so much. I really do too. And so does resilience. And I think that's why they're such happy people. I think it's life is so hard here, like the government, the taxes. Um, it's so hard that they, they've learned to enjoy life. And I think in America, everything is so easy for us that when it's not easy, we get all grumpy and frustrated. But that's why it's the greatest country in the world, and it, it really is. Yeah. And um, I've Americanized Brazil. Like, my house is, I mean, if you walk in my house, it's Brazilian, but it's decorated from Hobby Lobby. So, you know, I just Americanized my life here. You know, and my husband speaks fluent English. I only speak English with him. Mm -hmm. So. Now, you guys are in. It's not much different. You guys are in Brazil, but what actual town are you guys in? Because obviously Brazil's in South America, for those that aren't good with maps like me. So what town are you guys in? Well, we are in the state of Sao Paulo. It's Sao Paulo. So if you're looking at the map, you're going to see like Rio de Janeiro, mm -hmm. and you'll see a city called Brasilia, which is kind of in the middle, right? And from... If you would take a line, let's say from Brasilia to Rio de Janeiro, the southern part of Brazil is pretty modern. It's, it's pretty first world-like. But if you go north of there, towards the Amazon and to the northeast, it's still extremely third world, poverty-stricken type of country. The state of Sao Paulo, because there's Sao Paulo City, but the state of Sao Paulo is pretty much the economy of the country. Like it, It's the main state. Where things happen. So then, in order to get, like, do you guys have a lot of barrel races that are close to you, or do you have to travel quite quite a ways to get to 
Oh, no, they're, they're all over. There's a barrel race every weekend. Now, we do not have daily races like what you guys have there, but there is a race or rodeo every weekend that I can drive to. Really? Except in the summer. The summer is like December, January, because, um, you know, here in Brazil, workers have 30 days of paid vacation. And so a lot of people take that from December, January because of Christmas and New Year and then the carnival that they have here. So because so many people are on vacation and because it's so hot, we don't have a lot of races in December or January. And it's hot. I mean, it's like it's just, it's really hot. So what's like the average temperature like every few months? Does it, does it change or is it all pretty much like... Yeah, well, okay. no, it's, you know, it's all pretty much the same. So like right now we're in winter, which is the less hot season. So it, it's like at night, it gets into the mid 40s to lower 50s in the nighttime, and in the day, just to like the Mm mid-70s. There will be some days, maybe a week, where it will get close to freezing at night, and in the day, it'll be like 60. Mm -hmm. But because everything is made to keep you cool, like the houses are made out of concrete, and everything is tile, and everything is well-ventilated, it feels really cold. Mm -hmm. It feels colder than what it, you know, actually is. And then the rest of the year... Okay, in our midsummer, like December, January, February, it's going to be like um, 95 in the day and 80 at night. And then in uh, the rest of the year, it's going to be, it's going to run around that, like 90s in the day, 70s at night. Pretty much that on average. You're looking at between 90, 95 in the day, 70 to 80 at night. Yeah. What are your barns made of? Do you guys have concrete stalls or what do you guys use for that? Yes. Yeah, most barns are concrete. Almost, almost everywhere I've been is concrete. There are some people who use wood, like if you make like a little, just a little place to keep horses. Like our corrals for the cattle are made out of wood and cable. Um, even our chutes are all made out of wood because these cattle are huge and they're kind of wild. So if you use metal, they'll hurt themselves. They'll break their legs, they'll break their shoulders, they'll break their necks more. So when you come here, you won't see, like, a preferred um, stock or anything made out of metal for the cattle. It's all made out of wood. Um, but our stalls are made out of concrete. Um, my barn actually has a really high roof, and then it's made out of brick and concrete. And it's, it's really nice because it, we don't – we get rain, but we don't really have – we don't have tornadoes. We don't have earthquakes. We don't have hail or freezing rain or anything like that. So uh, my barn is pretty open, so it never really gets above 80 degrees in my barn, even when it's really hot outside my barn. My husband designed my barn really well. Mm-hmm. But most barns are high ceiling and made from uh, concrete and brick. And they usually even put tile and brick on the floor of the alleyways to, to help with the heat. That makes sense, especially for ventilation, then that would help... Th- let the heat rise and get out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas, like, you guys there, you have to worry more about snow and the north wind and things like that. We don't have to. Like, in our pastures, we don't need to put up any type of wind blocks. We may get some wind and rain, but not nothing like there. Nothing. Yeah. Our worst thing, our worst weather event is lightning. Sometimes we get storms with a lot, a lot of lightning. A lot of animals are lost to lightning. 
Well, especially if they're out to pasture all the time, then, I mean, that's, that's not something that you can control. You, you, no one has control. No, like they'll get under a tree or something, and then the tree gets struck by lightning, you know, and there, there really isn't much you can do no. when it comes to that. Mm. That's hard. Well, um, I threw out a couple uh, things on social media recently, and I do have a couple Facebook and Instagram questions that I had some listeners ask. I have three separate questions for you. Um, one of them was, she asked, do you guys have to worry about any certain ailments, um, like we have here in the States, for example, Lyme's disease, EPM, Cushing's, things like that? Okay. So we do have EPM here. It's not as prevalent as it is there. Um, I, there's two reasons why. One, we give the dewormer levomethal, um, which is what people use in EPM treatment. But here, Brazilians in general give it to their animals as an immunity builder. So we put that dewormer into our general protocol for horses all the time as a natural thing, not to prevent EPM, but just to help with the immunity and the deworming process. Um, But we do have it. I have not seen a horse with Cushing's, and we don't have Lyme's disease, but we do have the other diseases like the periplasmosis. So... A periplasmosis is an anaplasma, and it does come from the tick, and there are different varieties of it, and that we do have to control. There's some really great medicines here that, that like, if a horse has the disease and starts to get sick from the disease, we have some really great medicines that bring the horse back from it. Um, I even think sometimes that the EPM, now this is just my own personal opinion, and I am not a vet. I sometimes think that the EPM in the USA that gets diagnosed is not necessarily EPM, but could be a type of anaplasma, something similar to the periplasmosis um, that comes from ticks. Mm-hmm. And because I know there are a lot of ticks in the USA, and I find it kind of strange that you could have all these ticks and horses not get something from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes me wonder sometimes if there isn't some sort of strange anaplasma floating around in horses that's being misdiagnosed as EPM because it's a protozoa as well that affects, you know, in, in my case, I deal with um, Babesia equi and Babesia cavalli, which are two types of periplasmosis, which are two types of anaplasmas. And horses have symptoms from that when their immune system goes down, okay, and then we have to bring it back. But there are some other types that are in those same families that give horses some symptoms similar to EPM. Um, I can't think of the name of it right off the top of my head, but we have a medicine here called Genesec. And, like, the horse will have a little bit of incoordination. The horse will lose weight. The horse will become ataxic. And it's not EPM. It's this other type of disease that I can't remember the name from. And we give them two treatments of this medicine, and then the horse is fine. So... Um, another thing too, like when I'm exporting horses and they're like, oh my God, pure prognosis, is it, you know, is it going to go to my other horses? Is the horse going to die from it? And I say, you know, we don't have West Nile here. We don't have Lyme's. Um, every country has its own kind of diseases. Um, in my case, the pure is not a horrible disease unless a horse has it and gets really sick from it and nobody treats the horse. Then the horse can die from it. But when the horses go to the United States, they're negative to the disease. So unless they get bit by that particular breed of tick, they're never gonna, it's never gonna come back on them, you know? 
But I, you know, most in general, we have everything that's there. I just don't see so much of it here as I did there as far as EGM. And I haven't seen any horses with Cushing. Um, I'm trying to think of any other diseases that might affect horses. I tend to see quite a bit of lemonitis here, but I think that comes from overfeeding the horses. I'm sure they really overfeed the horses. Yeah, it's, it's kind of all the same, but a little different. And I hope that answers the question. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, question number two. What are some exercises or drills that are your favorite in your program? Okay, so I have, first of all, I like a horse that responds to my inside rein. Like if I barely touch that inside rein, they need to follow my, my hands, okay? There should be no um, lugging on the bit. And it's like, you know, when you go to, to turn and a horse maybe doesn't turn, you have to pull a little harder and they kind of lug on you and then they turn, that is not acceptable to me. So I have a drill where um, you're basically loping a small circle, okay? And then I ask that horse to cross that circle. And then when he crosses that circle, I ask him to turn again back into that circle. So you never, it's like you're, you're crossing the radius of the circle. Yeah. So imagine you have a circle and you don't want to ever go outside of that circle. But what I do is I ask them to turn and cut across that circle, and then I ask them to turn again and go back into the into the into the circle. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of that because what happens is the first turn they turn really well and push them straight, and then you ask them to turn to go back into your circle, and that's where you're going to find your defects. They'll either keep going straight, or they'll change leads, or they'll swing their butt out. So I do a lot of that to really keep them attentive to my inside rein. And it's also a good exercise to keep them fit because they have to turn, straighten, and then collect again and turn. And I do it always in the same speed. They shouldn't speed up and they shouldn't slow down. So it really helps to teach them body control. And it also helps to keep them fit because they have to kind of raise up through that rib cage to do it correctly. And then it keeps them really attentive to my inside rein. So that's probably my main one. And I do a lot of reverse arcing at a low, and then I'll reverse arc, reverse arc, and then ask them to go, like imagine you're reverse arcing and using your left rein so the horse is reverse arcing to the right. And then when I'm ready, I'll ask the horse to lope into a circle to the left. So he's reverse arcing, and then all of a sudden he has to get back into position to lope a correct circle to the left. I do a lot of that too. And the main reason is to keep the horse up, keeping balance, and always attentive to the inside rein. Mm-hmm. That's great. I recently just started doing reverse arc lopes myself. And, I mean, I did this, like, last week for the first time. And I thought, okay, clear mind, clear head. Let's be very intent on what we're doing and be very clear in our leg signals, my hand signals. And... Both my horses, I've never done this, and I thought, you know what? I had been watching uh, the Between the Reins videos with Ashley Schaefer and Joy Wargo and Jolene. I thought, here we go. I've been, I'm going to do this. And when you're very intent on what you're doing and you stay patient, you know, my horses are older. They picked it up pretty quick. I was actually very pleasantly surprised on how well it went. And so it's it's harder than what it looks but once you do it once, and then I did it again the next day just to kind of brush up on it, and they did really well. But 
it does use a lot yeah. of body parts that, that I'm sure they were sore the day after that. So we, we haven't done it since it does. we did a race over the weekend. It does. It's and really it, good. You're moving, you're moving that rib cage back and forth. Okay? Mm-hmm. You're loosening up that rib cage. The biggest thing I see when I go to clinics is so many horses are blocked in the rib cage, especially the first three ribs. And that exercise helps to keep all that loosened up. It goes back to like the idea of the saddle to keep the shoulders free. Mm-hmm. Because those shoulders translate to those first three ribs of the rib cage too, so you're getting a more supple horse. And the more supple the horse is, the easier it is for him to make, you know, a fast turn. Yeah. So I do a lot of that. Now, the one thing I will tell you when you're doing any type of exercise, the general rule of thumb is never let the shoulder fall to the outside of your rein. So if you're reverse arching and you're laying the rein on his neck, then the shoulder is on the wrong side of the rein. And in any exercise you do, if the shoulder falls to the outside of your rein, you're training the horse to drop on the front. They're stiffening up and they're dropping in one place or another. So when you're doing your reverse arcs, even if you have to stay two-handed, just be very aware that that shoulder, like let's say you're, you're reverse arcing to your right, so you're using your left hand and your left foot, just be very careful that you're not laying that rein on the horse's neck. Because when you do, she's actually starting to drop his inside shoulder and his inside rib cage. He's dropping that. He's not lifting and holding it up and moving. He's dropping and moving. So just always keep in mind that you want the shoulder always on the inside of your rein. So you may have to tip his nose a little bit more than what you're used to, or you may have to stay two-handed, you know, and actually lifting more with both hands to get that. But a good rule of thumb is to keep your horses from dropping and to keep them lifted is never let the shoulder go to the outside of your rein. Okay, last question, number three. What has been your best or favorite accomplishment that you have had since you've moved to Brazil? Oh, hands down, the curing of the periplasmosis. I mean, I did something that, that Sierra have been trying to do for years, and they can cure it, but the horses always look debilitated and sick and infertile. And I've been able to do it with a health, healthy, happy, fertile horse. So by far, the, the curing of the periplasmosis. I, I mean, that's just, that has to be, as far as my biggest accomplishment, it has to be that. And I think second to that would have to be that I was able to break, train, and send a horse to the USA that's now winning. Because that's, that's never been done before either from Brazil. Mm-hmm. And it's continuing to happen. I mean, yeah, you've 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 just done it the right way. You've you've got a good system, and I feel like you're going to well, keep producing. Well, you know, here's the thing. Like one thing about, I don't believe that you have to have a college education to be successful. I mean, I have one, but it doesn't mean you have to have one. Right. But what college taught me was that there's an answer to everything. You just have to find it. And my grandpa told me once before he died. He said. If you get an education and you work hard and you stay honest, you will always be fine. So I feel like the things I've accomplished and the things that I've done is because my motives have always been good. You know, I, I don't make saddles and because I want to have my name out there as a saddle maker. I make saddles because I needed a saddle that would work for my horses and would actually help benefit horses. Same with the pad. The same with the periplasmosis. And I feel like if anybody goes into their job or their work or their life or their family and your motive is good, you're going to have mistakes, you're going to have setbacks, 
But in the end, you will always have a great outcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 that's just, I just live by that rule. You know, my motive, I mean, I have to pay my bills just like everybody else. But I don't, I don't do anything with bad motives. My motive is always is, is good. And it's given me, I feel like that, and um, just being positive and just working hard. I mean, I work really hard. And it's, it's been giving me the life that I'm having now. So if, if I can be of anything to anybody, it's, it's an inspiration. I have been poor. I, I remember being in college going three and four days without food. You know, I have been almost homeless. I have lived in an apartment which is sleeping on the floor. You know, I moved to another country. I didn't know the language. I had no family. Um, but I, I always had the motives and was positive. And you can, everybody has a story, and nobody has it easy. But if you just stay positive and have good motives, everything will be okay. Everything works out. I don't think we could find a better way to end the podcast than on that. That's a wonderful story. I absolutely love it, Shannon. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for joining me today. I have really enjoyed chatting with you and get to know you. I mean, I can't wait to share this episode with everybody. But before you go, tell us where we can find you on social media, your website, and how I can book a trip to come see you in Brazil. Okay. Well, um, you know, we have the SK Equine Products Instagram and Facebook page. And then I have my own Facebook, which is just Shannon Kerr. And the same with Instagram, it's Shannon Kerr. And I'm kind of new to TikTok, so I wouldn't go there yet. (laughs) But um, if you want to book with me, it's probably best just to find me on Facebook, my personal Facebook page. It's public, so you can just message me. I do check my message requests quite often as well. And that's probably the best way. I used to have a website for the bed and breakfast. But now I use it just for the diet pill, and I'm about to take it down because I've gotten so busy. Um, I have to really schedule things uh, in a different way than I used to have to. Mm-hmm. So I'm always open to guests. Always happy to. Ha- I'm always happy to help anyone find the flights, help them book the flights, um, answer any questions. But it's my just to find me on my personal page on Facebook. And as far as the saddles and everything go. Um, it's best to message the Facebook page or the Instagram page. I um, have girls that handle that for me. I'm not allowed to sell anything anymore because they told me I'm too nice and I give too much stuff away. <laughs> so they actually banned me from answering messages on my own business pages. <laughs> so, um, so for saddles and stuff, it's best to go to the Facebook or Instagram page, SKE Fun Products. But to come visit me, just find me on Facebook. I'm, I answer every message I can. I check it daily, and I'm happy to have anyone here because I'm, I'm so excited to share what I've seen here because it's, it's just so neat. It's so cool. It's different, but you'll leave here with a different mindset about horses, about attitudes, about food, drink, and um, I promise anybody who comes here, they all leave happy. sure to visit Shannon's website at skequineproducts.com. Just like she said, you can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Shannon Kerr. You can also find The Barrel Horse Life on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at The Barrel Horse Life. 
where you'll find some behind-the-scenes content, store merch, new episodes, and I post some really good horse memes. Make sure to visit the store website at www.thebarrelhorselife.store. This episode of the podcast was edited, produced, and marketed by me, Amy Davenport, right from my tidy recording closet. This has been The Barrel Horse Life.